as I was preparing the message today and I was going through scriptures and thinking about what matters most, I had this feeling and this emotion come over me that I haven't had since I was in grade school. Um, when I was in elementary school, I would go to bed at night and I had all these stuffed animals in my room. And uh, I knew wh- what order that they needed to be in because they had to take turns which stuffed animal would get to sleep with me. And I never got out of order. And this is why it's because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I didn't, what, you did the same thing too. I didn't want the stuffed animal's feelings to be hurt. You know, I didn't want any of them to feel left out of getting to sleep by me. So I knew that when Snoopy slept by me, that the next day he moved over here and the, the koala bear was next and so forth, because I didn't want anything to, you know, feel, be left out. And when I was going and preparing for this message today, and I'm looking through scripture of what we're going to talk about today. I literally was like, but I don't want to leave any of the scripture out. All of them are like my favorite, you know, it's like going to the ice cream store and you can't decide which flavor you want because you kind of want them all. And so there might be several times as I'm going through scriptures today, you might hear me say this phrase, this one's my favorite. And I might say it again to another one. This one's my favorite. And the reason is it's because when I look at the scriptures and I see that over half the New Testament is spent on Jesus and his salvation going out to people who don't know it. It's like all of this goes together. It's not like cherry picking scripture. It all goes together in one narrative in scripture, and I love it all. Mike started this series last week called What Matters Most, and he's going to be back next week. I'm Lori McDaniel, his wife, and sometimes I'll have her speak, or we may have other people within our church or on staff who are speaking, but Mike will be back next week, and he's going to pick up right where I leave off today on this whole thing of what matters most. And if you were here last week, you heard Mike talk about what matters most is knowing God or the glory of God. And so I'm going to throw out another what matters most. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, how can you have like two what matters most? It's kind of like um, what matters most in your car? Is it the gasoline or the oil? And the answer is yes, right? And the reason I know that is because I let the oil run out in my car, although I had a full tank of gas and I ended up stranded on the side of the road. They were both important. Which is most important, flour or sugar and baking cookies? The answer is yes, Okay, are you with me? Are you tracking with me? You have to have both. And so last week, Mike is talking about what matters most is the glory of God. And if we were like just to peel back layers of scripture, we would find an incredible number of verses that point to God's glory being made known, about his name being made known to all nations and to all people. If I were to ask you today, why why were you created? You could take us to Isaiah chapter 43 and it would say there that you were created for God's glory. And then to sum it up really fast, we could go to Romans 3, 23 that says that we sin and we fell short of his glory. And we could go to the New Testament that says that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that through him, he might be glorified. And we could go to the end of the Bible and go to Revelations where we see this picture of what heaven will be like. And it says, I love this, how it describes God's glory, that there won't be any sun or moon because God's glory will be the light in heaven. And what will we be doing? But we will be gathered around his throne in worship, giving him glory with who? 
nations and people and tribes and said, listen, it isn't going to be an English worship service happening around the throne of God. There are going to be many languages that are represented there, but how did they get there? If, if everything through scripture that we see is about God's glory being made known to all people, then we can see that God is on this mission of making his glory known. And then he sent the church to declare it. God is on a mission of making his glory known to all people. And he sent the church to declare it. You know, a few weeks ago, we gave you the little post-it notes where you were answering the question, what matters most? And I saw those post-it notes and I was amazed how often it said missions, 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 missions is what matters most. But do you know what I really wish we could do? I wish we could take the word missions and we could take the S off the ending of the word. Because what happens is what we do is we think of missions. We think of it as this compartmentalized thing that missions is what you do if you have enough vacation on your calendar. Missions is what you do if you can afford it. Missions is what you do if you're spiritually elite enough to do it. Missions is what you do if you have a special calling. But if we could take off the S and we would just say mission and we would look in scripture to see this mission, we could see that God is on a mission of making his glory known to all people. He sent the church to which I'm a part of. Ordinary people like you and like me are a part of this church and therefore we have been sent to participate with God on this mission. And so I'm going to throw out to you today that what matters most is this. Actually, I won't even tell you what it is yet because you know why? You're going to agree with me. Everybody just nod your head. Yeah, we agree with you, Lori. This is what matters most. I'll bet that most of you in here would agree with this statement that I'm about to say. You're going to say, yes, that is true, that what matters most are people who don't know Jesus. And we would say, yes, that is true. I mean, how could we not when Jesus is saying about himself in scripture that I came to seek and to save the lost. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came for the lost. Jesus came because people needed salvation. What matters most is people need Jesus. And you would agree and say yes. And here's the question I would ask you to that is how active is your yes? How active is your yes? Is your yes an all in kind of like my five-year-old son? He, well, actually not my five-year-old son. I don't have a five-year-old son anymore. I know I look that young, but I don't. Um, but our middle son, when he was five years old, he gives his life to following Jesus Christ and immediately goes to his older sister who likes to do things in her own time and in her own way and by her own decisions, right? He's going, Jordan, you've got to follow Jesus and you've got to follow Jesus like right now. And then he goes to school and he comes home telling me about how he shared about Jesus to one of his friends. And I'm thinking, Caleb, that is great. So tell me about this. Where were you? And he said, well, we were on the playground. I said, well, what did you say? And he said, well, I just told my friend, you better believe in Jesus or you're going to hell. <laughs> I don't know the parenting technique for that one necessarily. You know, it's kind of like, you know, son, that's, you're so bold and that's really great. And we might need to work on the delivery method a little bit. That maybe your yes is all in like that. Or maybe your yes is kind of like half in, kind of half out, a little bit undercover, like I was when I was in the ninth grade. And our youth minister had given us these 
Jesus tracks. I don't know if you're familiar with them. If you grew up in church, they're like three inches long, two inches high. We're kind of cheap when it comes to Christianity. The Jehovah Witness have a whole magazine. Come on, people, right? But we get this little track and you can open it up and you can have conversations as verses in it tells how you can be a follower of Jesus Christ. And my youth minister has inspired me and I'm challenged and thinking, I'm so going to do this, but I get to school and I chicken out. And I've got all these tracks to hand people to tell them how they can follow Jesus Christ. But I come up with a plan. So during Mr. Johnson's science class, I uh, get permission to go to the bathroom. And uh, I walk the hallways where no one is in the hallways. And lockers were made just for spreading the gospel, I believe, because they have these little slits in them. And when no one's in the hallways, you can walk by with your little Jesus track and you can spread the gospel undercover by that way. And you can just slip them into the locker as you're walking by, right? And so I was kind of like half in, half out sharing the gospel. So Mr. Johnson, if you're listening, I confess I didn't really go to the bathroom, but it was at a good cause. I was spreading the gospel, although I don't know one person who came to believe Jesus Christ because of the track in their locker. But maybe your yes is kind of like, kind of half, but kind of not really. So you're either all in, or maybe you're kind of half in, or you're not. And that's the part that makes this message today feel a little bit difficult for me to share. And the reason that it's difficult to share is because I realize that in a room this size, that what begins to happen is when we start talking about sharing the gospel or we use this word evangelism, which I don't even like to throw out, although it's a really great word because it's basically just sharing the good news, that what happens on the inside of us is we kind of begin to feel guilty because we can't even really think about when was the last time that we shared the gospel with someone. We begin to feel a little bit judged maybe by all of that, but you're in good company. George Barna did a study, and here's what he said, that 1%, 1% of believers feel that they're good at sharing the gospel or that they're good at evangelism. You know what that tells me? That 99% of us probably are not sharing our faith. I want you to hear this. I'm going to do my best to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, but I'll be straight up and tell you this, that I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I get it. I don't even think that I'm that great at evangelism. I'm not that great at encouragement either, but it doesn't mean I can go around my house being critical, right? I have to begin to grow in this part of my spiritual life. I have to begin to exercise encouragement muscles. It's the same way when it comes to sharing our faith. That if we're not sharing and we're not exercising sharing our faith, we become anemic in this part of our life. And yet we have been given a message of the gospel of good news to share with people. We have been sent. Even corporations use this word evangelism. They call it evangelism marketing, where basically they use the customer and they use the customer's word of mouth to spread their product and get people to use their product. Chipotle does this well. Apple has done this well. You've got apps on your phone that you didn't see a commercial for, but you downloaded them because somebody said, oh, you need this app. And so the customer becomes a voluntary advocate telling people why they should buy this product or use this product. And it's the same thing when it comes to the gospel. We have, in essence, a message to declare, to be voluntary advocates, to getting it to people. And the reasoning that evangelism is not my gift or I'm not good at it is not a valid excuse for not participating in sharing the gospel. I don't mean that sting, but it's just the truth. Sharing the gospel, listen, is the responsibility of all 
believers in Jesus Christ. Sharing the gospel is the responsibility of all believers in Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to give us some practical steps because I believe that all of us would say, yes, it is important that people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus, right? We agree with that. But how active is our yes? And if our yes isn't very active, what do we do next? What's the next step? And so I want to give us a few practical handles. They're not complicated because sharing the gospel isn't complicated that we can begin to do. And here's the thing is these are not in sequential order. So as you're listening to these, or maybe you're writing them down, I want you to be thinking this and asking this question, God, which of these do I need to implement in my life now? What's the next step for me as a believer in Jesus Christ to strengthen my muscles when it comes to sharing the gospel? Turn in your Bible or uh, bring it up on your phone uh, to the book of Luke chapter 24. We're going to peek into really a narrative of scripture that takes place in Luke. It's going to pick up in Acts. And so we're going to kind of look at both of these. So we're going to be in Acts and we're going to be in Luke both. And as we're going through these narratives and peeking into the scripture, here's, here's what I need you to do. I need you to put on your imagination for a moment so that you can step back into time and experience what it is that these disciples, these guys are hearing so that you can hear and feel the unknown that they're experiencing so that you can feel and the questions that they're asking themselves so that you can hear and feel what it feels like Jesus is asking them to do. And yet they're not really sure how all of this is going to be taking place. We know these guys were described in the New Testament as men who turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. But the point that we're peering in right now, they're kind of like guys that are standing there with, staring, you know, at headlights. Okay. And so that's what I want you to look at. So in uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 38, Jesus is going to come to them and uh, he's going to um, ask them some questions. He's going to have a conversation with them. And so before I, I tell you what, before we read that scripture, let, let me throw this out there first. Because here's the next, one of the next steps. Is that we need to reject passivity and re- accept responsibility. We need to reject passivity and accept responsibility. And you're going to see this unfold here in these scriptures. So let me give you a little bit of context. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. And now he's appearing before his disciples who think that he's dead. Okay, there is not a paradigm in their world, in this world for the dead to come back to life and be standing in front of them. They think he's dead. They think the guy who was going to usher in this great new kingdom has been carried off. He's dead, but now he's standing before them in the flesh and they're like with their jaws wide open. And this is what Jesus says to them. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see. It's kind of like show and tell with Jesus at the moment. Maybe it's, you know, like scratch and sniff. I don't know. The guy's been dead, okay? And then he goes on and he says, For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he has said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, basically meaning this is too good to be true, okay? He says this to them. Do you have anything to eat? Now, does that just not seem a little awkward to you? 
Now, I know when your college kid comes home and you're wanting to hear everything that's going on about their life, that all they're doing is scrounging around in the cabinets looking for something to eat. But here's Jesus. He shows up. The disciples are in disbelief. He's saying, look, no, it's really me. Touch my hands. Touch my feet. By the way, I'm hungry. Have you got anything to eat? And so they give him, I guess, what you give any dead person who's come back to life in verse 42. They gave him a a piece of broiled fish. And that's what I would give them, wouldn't you? Yeah. And in verse 43, and he took it and he ate it before them. And then he said to them, now, wait a minute, hold on. The guy's come back from dead. He's eating fish and they're about to have Bible study. In verse 43, took it, he ate it, verse 44. And then he said to them, these are my words that I've spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I want to be in that Bible study with Jesus Christ. He just took the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the words from the prophets and the Psalms, and he opened up their eyes to understand the entire narrative of everything that was written there and that he was the one that was going to fulfill it. And verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you're it. You're the witnesses. Again, take it in. Take in the scene of what is taking place. Dead guy, back to life, eating fish. They're a little bit in disbelief. He begins to open up their eyes to understand how all of these pieces are connected together. And then he says, oh, and by the way, now you're going to be it. Tag, you're it. You're going to be my witnesses to everything that I've just opened up your eyes, everything that you've seen, everything that you've experienced. If we were to take the last chapter of Luke and overlay it with the first chapter of Acts, we would see the connection here. Luke wrote them both, both the gospel of Luke and Acts. And where he leaves off in Luke, he picks up an Acts where Jesus is taking his disciples out to a hill in chapter one. You're familiar with it. And he's saying to them, listen, you're going to stay here. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power to be what? To be my witnesses. And you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he like is gone, right? And disappears. And they're doing what I would do. They're just like standing there. Like, is he going to come back and these two men in white robes come and say to him why are you standing here i can tell you why they're standing there they just had fish with him in bible study and he's saying okay now you're going to go out and be my witnesses in a land that just crucified me and persecuted me and you're going to go and you're going to declare this message to all these people yeah i'd be standing there too with my mouth wide open but here's the reality just like it was for the disciples we have been given the responsibility of the gospel message that is to be taken out to all peoples, to all nations, beginning right where you're at, just like it was for the disciples. The gospel came to you to save you, but the gospel didn't come to you to stop with you. The gospel came to you to save you so that you would then be sent out to others so that they could be saved. Does that make sense? So we have to stop thinking in this term that someone else has been sent. And we have to start thinking, 
I've been sent. We have to stop thinking that someone else is going to be on mission and start thinking that I've been told to live on mission. We have to stop thinking that someday I'm going to participate in God's mission of declaring his glory to people and start thinking, you know what? I've been given opportunities around me with people I know and friendships that I have to declare his glory to them. We've got to shift our thinking and reject passivity, accept responsibility that this gospel message has been given to us, to you, to declare to all people. And it isn't complicated to tell. The second step is this, again, not in order, but is extract gospel moments in everyday life. So what do you do when Jesus comes back from the dead and he tells you that this is what you're supposed to go do and they wait and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they receive power to be his witnesses? What next? What happens next? Everyday life happens next. Peter and John, two of the disciples who were fishing buddies when Jesus called them, They're going up to the temple one day and they're in this bustling city in Jerusalem. And you've been to a city where there's been beggars on the side of the street, right? And you do what I do. You walk past trying not to make eye contact. And every now and then you might give them something, but you don't give them something every time. And so they're in the city and there's probably beggars everywhere, but they go by this one lame beggar who's been there who knows how many times. And he's been lame since birth. And this time as they're walking by, Peter says to him something. He gets his attention. He says, hey, look right here at me. And I want us to pick up right in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. Did he have what the guy was wanting? What's the guy wanting? He's wanting money. He's wanting a handout, right? Peter says, I don't have what you're asking for. Silver, gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What I do have, I give to you. Listen, there are times that people have a need that I can't meet, but I do have something that they do need. Does that make sense? I know that people need friendship. I know that marriages need to be restored. I know that people are struggling with divorce. I know that there are people that are being trafficked that need to be rescued. I know that there are orphans who need shelter, need to be taken in. I know that people need clean water. I also know this. When you take all that away, people need Jesus. And Peter is saying, I don't have what you think you need, but what I do have, I'm giving to you. And in verse seven, taking him by the right hand, he helps him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, summing up, dancing, praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement that it had happened to him. The reality is, is miracles and these kind of crazy God moments when we were, if we were to list them out in our everyday life, that list probably would not be very long, unfortunately. I was in a country in South Asia not too long ago. We were sitting in a church at the foothills of the Himalayan mountains, and this church is a bamboo structure. It was about two months old, just a handful of believers, and we're sitting there worshiping together. 
And this person, this lady comes to me and she says something that rocked my world. She said this. She said, you need to come right now and you need to pray for the girl who is demon possessed in the back. And you know what my reaction was? Honestly, this is what I said to her. Um, you probably should get the pastor. (laughs) And she looked at me and she said, no, you need to come and you need to pray for this demon possessed girl. So I get back there and I do what any of you would do. You begin to assess the situation of the girl who is falling over, who is convulsing on the ground. And I'm thinking she's diabetic. She's having a reaction. You know, she's dehydrated. She's, so she's convulsing. And I'm seeing, and I'm trying to make it make sense in my American first world uh, cultural Christianity. Miracles don't happen every day kind of thing. One of the team members is already back there praying. So I kneel down and, and I start praying. And this girl would sit up and she would say this to us. Get away from me or I'm going to eat you. Now, immediately, right now, in your head, in your mind, some of you are thinking, okay, is this a made-up story? Is, is this for real? Is she exaggerating this? And I will tell you right now that there might be things on the news that you see taking place where it sees that the, 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 the enemy is at work and the evil one is at work and you know what he is. But I can tell you right now that there are stories taking place all over this world where God is at work doing miracles and healing people, freeing them from demon possession and things that you're not going to get on your BuzzFeed, on your iPhone, and it's not going to be proclaimed on CNN. God is at work. And we began praying for this girl. For one hour, we're laboring in prayer. And one of the nationals came over to me and she said, I want you to look around at all of these people who are watching. And a crowd had gathered around this situation. And I am thinking this, how big is my faith? God, if you don't show up right now, we are putting your name on the line, God. We're praying in Jesus' name that you will work. These people who believe in other gods, if you don't show up, you're just going to be like another God who doesn't seem to show up. God, you've got to show up in Jesus' name. After an hour, this girl sits up with a smile on her face. And all I can do is when I came back and I was reading through the book of Mark, and there's a passage in the book of Mark that describes a demon-possessed person who was freed. It says that he was clothed in his right mind. And this girl sits up smiling and there are people around that because of Jesus's name saw him do an incredible work. It's the same thing that took place here. The people wanted to know how was this guy healed? And they're asking Peter and they're asking John, in what name did you do this? In what name? And in Acts chapter three, verse 15, Peter gets very bold and he says, look, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of all of you. You possess the same power and you have opportunities every day as you're going through your everyday normal life with people at school and people on your sports team and people at your work that give opportunity for gospel kinds of conversations. The question is going to be, are you going to extract them? Where we get the word moment is from the same word we get the word atom. And an atom is so small, it could be overlooked, right? But if you could get that atom and you could harness it and you could split it, what would have it happen? An atomic reaction that would change the landscape. We have moments of gospel opportunities in your everyday life. And if we are exercising gospel muscles, we become aware of them so that we can harness those opportunities and turn them into 
a gospel conversation. The third thing is this, is jump off the relationship building bridge. And the reason I say that is because you're like me and you're thinking, I'm just loving them. I'm just building a friendship with them. I'm just going to be nice to them. I'm just, I'm just doing acts of kindness for them. But there comes a time when you have to jump off the relationship building bridge. I did it just the other day with a friend I was having coffee with. We're having coffee. The conversation kind of gets turned. She's telling me a little bit more deeply about her life and some struggles. I'm asking her some questions. Some religion begins to come into the conversation. And then let me peel back my head because this is what I'm thinking. I'm having an argument with myself and God. And it sounded something like this. Yeah, I don't know if this is the right time to like ask her if she wants to follow Jesus because what if I offend her? And what if I don't actually say the right thing? And what if I can't remember what, what, that, what that verse is? And what if I don't do it right? And what if that, like, it takes her to friendship and then she's not gonna be my friend anymore? And that was the debate that was going on in my head. The gospel is not fully shared until we give them an opportunity. And the reason we don't wanna jump off the bridge is because we don't want to say these words that Peter said in Acts chapter four, verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins might be blotted out. Why is it that we are afraid to say that? Why is it that fear wells up inside of us because we're afraid that we're going to offend the other person? Let me tell you something. The gospel is offensive. And let me tell you something else that is probably true. You may never feel 100% comfortable in doing that. But I can tell you this. You should have 100% confidence that the Holy Spirit who is inside of you has given you power to be witnesses. And he knows exactly what is going on in that moment and how he is working in that person's heart. And you are just the conduit. You are the one sent with an opportunity to extract the gospel moment. You just got to jump off the bridge and do it. Fourth, strategically expand where you spend your time. Strategically expand where you spend your time. Let me put it to you another way. If everyone in your circle is a believer, then you need a bigger circle. If everyone in your circle is a believer, then you need a different circle. You need a bigger circle or you need a different circle. If the church has been sent, then shouldn't we be doing it strategically? Does the scripture say that I'm sending you out as sheep to remain together in the herd. It says, I'm sending you out as sheep. Where? Among wolves. We've got to be bold. We've got to accept responsibility. And we need to look around and leverage our life strategically for God's purpose. If the glory of God is going to compel us, then let us do it somewhere strategically for his purpose. So look around. I like to divide it up between here and there. Some people say we don't have to go overseas anymore because the nations are right here. And there's, there's truth to that. There is truth to that. But tragically, there's also truth to this. That continually I'm in conversations with internationals who live right here or with people just like you who have friendships with internationals. And time after time after time, the story goes like this. I've lived here for eight years and no American has ever invited me into their home. I met a girl last week who said, I've lived here 10 years and no American has ever invited me to their home. We're the church, are we not? Who are sent out with the gospel message and it's become quite easy because the nations, 
Some of them who we can't get missionaries to around the world are moving into our backyard. Their kids are on your kids' sports teams. They go to your grandchildren's school. You're working at them. They're just in the cubicle down the hall from you in your work. Church, have we not been sent? Let me tell you this. If you're thinking, why aren't these people coming to church? Let me tell you this. They're probably not going to come to your church. But they would love to build a friendship with you. And they would love to come into your home and have a cup of tea. Well, what about over there? What about over there? I could rattle off again statistics of 2 billion people who have yet to even hear the name of Jesus Christ. And that I cannot personally comprehend. And so what do I do to live here to get the gospel there? Some of you are thinking, well, okay, well, I haven't been called there. That's not my gift set. Or, you know, I, I have this job. You know what? You got that job. You might have the perfect opportunity to take that job and live in a country overseas where a missionary couldn't go, but you could work there. Teachers, coaches, businessmen, veterinarians, students, students going to college. I could take you to colleges right now around the world who would say, we would love for you to come after. We would pay for you to come to our school just so you could speak English and you could go and live among a different people. Let's live and work somewhere strategically and let us leverage our jobs, our skills, for the glory of God and getting his gospel to all people. Next one is tether your confidence to the power of the spirit. I've said it once and I'll say it again, that sharing the gospel is not complicated, but we don't do it because we don't feel like we have the ability. Listen, if you bought a raffle ticket today and then tomorrow you won a million dollars and the next day somebody said, Hey, how did you get that million dollars? You would know exactly how to tell them how to get that million dollars, right? You know, you know exactly how to tell someone how you became a believer in Jesus Christ. It didn't take a special skill. It isn't complicated. We have many opportunities that we pass by because we feel that we're not capable and we have not yet tethered our confidence to the spirit of the one that is in us. Charles Spurgeon says this, and you've said it to, you've asked this question. You've often said to yourself, what can I do? What, what can I do? I'm just this, I'm just that. But when Christ by his spirit grips you, what can you not do? Either the spirit is powerful or he's not. Either the gospel is true and strong or we're believing a weak and anemic gospel. Which is it? Here's the last one. Tap into your own story, but tell his. Tap into your story, but tell his. I love this scripture in Acts chapter four, where it describes Peter and John and how the people looked at them and how they saw them. It says this, it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. Uneducated. Any ordinary people in here? Or is it just me? And they were astonished when they saw them and they recognized that they had been with Jesus here in just a minute, there are people who are sitting in here that, that may get up and leave. You're going to get to witness their stories. 
and how they're leveraging their life to share the gospel with people that are around them. But Jesus leaving this task into the hands of ordinary people is pretty much his MO. It's what he's done throughout history. When he chose Moses to lead the Israelites out for the purpose of their salvation, he was just an ordinary guy. When he came to Gideon, a weak guy, a weak warrior, and said, have I not sent you? He sent him, why? For the purpose of people's salvation. And he has sent the church for the same reason, with the gospel message. I have a friend of mine who, when she teaches, I've heard her say this so many times. And she knows she's referencing somebody else that she read in a book. But basically, it's like the gospel is a pyramid scheme. That we acquire the product. You know, you know what a pyramid scheme is, right? Because you probably get a friend who's like bribed you into doing one. Now you're trying to figure out how to get out, right? But we acquire the product, the gospel. And then we try to sell it to other people and get them to sell it to other people who will then in turn sell it to other people. The problem is, is that no longer we're using what it is that we're selling. So we can say, yes, what matters most are people who don't know Jesus Christ. And again, I'd have to come back and ask you, how active is your yes? What role do you play in the opportunities that you've been given? You're the sent ones. You've been sent with gospel opportunities among people in your life. Jim Elliott, who you're probably familiar with the story, missionary, Alka Indians, flies in plane, ends up getting speared to death for the sake of the gospel. He made a comment that is perhaps one of my favorite, and it's not profound at all. But he said this, we don't need a special call. We just need a kick in the seat of the pants. In Matthew chapter 24, it says this. It says that this gospel will be preached to the entire world. And then the end will come. Let's begin and let's live with the end in mind. That this gospel is going to be preached. And I want to be a part of this action of what God is doing and has started in this movement that's taking place to getting the gospel to all people. Oh God, let us be a church that glorifies you. God, that when we gather together during this time, we come seeking you and honoring you and glorifying you. But oh God, let us not be passive about the Great Commission. Let us not be lazy about our faith. And God, let us be confident, bypassing the fear that seems to creep in. And God, let us share your gospel with people around us. In Jesus' name.